This podcast is about anything and everything that gets us better at making things good and good at making things better. It's called extreme stewardship because the first thing to say about getting better at making things good and good at making things better is that both we ourselves and whatever we're working on don't belong to us. We are stewards of what is God's, not owners of what is ours. And in a world that prioritizes getting as the ultimate good and self as the ultimate end, that's pretty extreme. This is episode 7, where you have to have seed to get fruit, but you also have to have fruit to get seed. And you need fruit for eating right now, but you also need seed for planting so you can eat later. Let's start with an odd verse. Well, maybe not an odd verse, but a verse, okay, two verses, that are worded oddly. By the way, this episode is going to be a bit longer because we need to get into the weeds on some things. Anyways, Genesis 1, verses 11 and 12. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Start at the end. It was good. Good means can do the job God has given it. The job, in this case, is primarily productive. Plants are supposed to produce things. What are they supposed to produce? Two things, apparently. Fruit, so animals can eat, and especially seed, so there can be more plants, which in turn can produce more fruit, which animals can eat. Check this out. Fruit, to be eaten now, and seed, to be planted, so it can produce more fruit, to be eaten later. Resources for now, resources for later. Think about this, first of all, within the context of Genesis 1 and 2. Adam and Eve are given the task of stewarding creation as God's image-bearing representatives. That includes cultivating the garden, which means, among other things, harvesting fruit and planting seed. Notice how important it is that both of these things are happening right away. Adam and Eve can't start from scratch and plant a garden because a garden takes a whole seasonal cycle to produce anything, and in the meantime, they need to eat. God doesn't say to them, go out and plant a garden and tighten your belts until the first harvest. God makes sure that the land already produces fruit because Adam and Eve are not self-sustaining. They need that fruit to survive until the first harvest comes in. They also need that seed to get their work process going. Where does a farmer get seed to plant this year's crop? From last year's harvest. Where did those crops come from? from the seeds planted at the beginning of that growing season. Where did those seeds come from? From the previous year's harvest, and so on and so forth, all the way back to the beginning. We love in the U.S. to talk about self-made individuals pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and that sort of thing. I understand the sentiment behind that, but biblically, there's no such thing as a self-made man. God gets the ball rolling. God makes sure that they have what they need to do the job before he asks them to do it. I'm not denigrating those who have made much out of a little. The Bible celebrates those people. But we need to see the difference between making much out of a little and making something out of nothing. Only God can do that. And how does God do that? He speaks, and vegetation appears. If you go back to Genesis 1, both in verses 11 and 12, and throughout that story, you see the repetition. God says, let there be whatever, and precisely what God speaks comes into existence. 
This is probably the most important takeaway from Genesis 1. What God says goes. Adam and Eve do not have the ability to speak their own resources into existence from nothing. God does that. Follow the string back far enough, and the final answer to the question, where did my resources come from, will always be, God spoke them into existence. Now, check out Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11, and listen carefully for echoes of Genesis 1. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So many connections to Genesis 1 in this text. Beginning at the end, God's word is good. It will achieve the purpose for which he sends it. It does not fail to accomplish his will. Then move backwards through the text. It is God's word, God's speech, by which he accomplishes his will. How do things happen? God speaks. And then in the first part of this piece of Isaiah, the actual accomplishment. Seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Food for now, seed for later. Just like God's provision for Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2. So here's an idea. What if we looked at the resources we have and identify them as either bread or seed? Resources to be enjoyed now or resources to be invested for later? There are two opposite extremes we could fall into on this. Everything is food or everything is seed. If everything is seed, delayed gratification becomes the ultimate spiritual discipline. Enjoy nothing now so I can enjoy it all later. We can put this in financial terms. Spend nothing now. Have no fun now so you can retire early and have nothing but fun later. Live like no one else so later you can live like no one else. Or you can put it in spiritual terms. Reject all notion of pleasure in this life and save it all for eternity. The problem with this way of thinking is that God gives us food. Food not only for sustenance but also for enjoyment. But we don't want to fall into the other extreme either, where everything is food, everything is consumable, everything is instant, everything is about the pleasures of the moment. Somehow, I have to stay within these two extremes, and part of that means carefully discerning what I have that counts as seed and what I have that counts as food. Now look, there are endless practical implications to this, and I'm not even going to try to cover all the exits. I'm simply going to run through some possibilities in hopes that I hit something that resonates with you and gets you thinking differently about the resources that you have. I'll start with money because I think it straightforwardly illustrates the point that I'm trying to make. Saving money for later, having an emergency fund, a retirement account, all that, absolutely. Being wise with financial resources, being a good steward of those resources means, among other things, not spending every penny we have as soon as we have it. But you also know people where the roof leaks, the air conditioning doesn't work, the car won't start, and they've got millions in the bank and won't touch any of it. They are so anxious about next year's harvest that they want to treat everything as seed. They want to plant everything. But how absurd is it to take an apple that falls from the tree and plant the whole apple? Eat the apple, plant the seeds. Now, it's equally absurd, of course, to eat the seeds. Eating the seeds is like, well, I, 
I wonder how many of us have the stomach to see what the money we spent on coffee in the last few years would have done for our retirement account. Or maybe it's Netflix, or the latest and greatest whatever. I hope those seeds tasted good, because you're not going to get much of a harvest out of them. What about my home? What's food? What's seed? And what might serve as both depending on the situation? For example, how can my living space be enjoyable for my family, but also be dedicated to a long-term investment in relationships, in service, in hospitality, in loving my neighbor? I like space that is orderly and clean, everything squared away. That can be good. But sometimes I dislike my kids using that space because that means disorder, messiness, things getting misplaced or broken. I'm treating that space as food, my food, to be enjoyed by me just the way it is. And sometimes that's good and right. But that space is also seed. Seed to be planted in the imaginations of my kids. Seed to be thrown into the fertile soil of their growing minds and bodies. What makes seed good is that it gets planted and produces something later. Like the way I treat my home, sometimes things become food that should have been seed. Things become ends in themselves that should have been means to greater ends. Like a temporarily successful side project that takes over the company, and next thing you know everyone forgets what the mission and vision of the company were in the first place because someone ate a seed, and for whatever reason the seed tasted good, and you forgot what that seed was really for. And then one day everyone wakes up, and there's no food, because last year they ate all the seed. I am currently part of a non-profit startup. Well, we're in year five, so best practices says we need to stop acting like a startup. Anyway, the point is, we started a university a little over four years ago. Universities are not get-rich-quick schemes, unless, well, I, I probably shouldn't go there. Real universities are not short-term investments. We are in this for the long, slow grind, and at this particular stage, we spend a lot of time trying to find seed. Seed means social media interest. Seed means potential student contact cards. Seed means donations from our financial partners. All of these things are good if we treat them as seed. Nonprofit and for-profit businesses alike are tempted to treat the discovery of seed as an end in itself. In other words, we are tempted to treat that seed like food. We are tempted to get excited because we made contact with a certain number of potential clients, because our website had a certain number of hits last month, that sort of thing. These things matter, but they matter as seed. They matter only insofar as they possess the potential to produce food. For us at the university, food is students, enrolled in our classes, becoming part of our community, being shaped by their education and prepared for what comes next. The mission of Great Northern University is to train students to engage and transform their world for Jesus Christ. It takes a lot of seed and water and soil and sun to produce that crop, and we get excited when our seeds get planted in good soil with the right quantities of water and light. But any farmer can tell you that a great planting season is nothing to get overly excited about. Please hold your applause until the harvest actually happens. There's an element of the food-seed dynamic that requires us to be clear on the scope of the operation. There's a sense in which everything I have is seed, and some of which I have is also food. 
I say this because everything I have, whether money or space or ability or knowledge, it all serves a purpose that transcends me, and that's because I am a steward, not an owner. An owner is a self-contained universe. An owner sees the scope of his or her concern as identical to the scope of his or her possessions. Outside of that, not my problem. There is no bigger picture into which an owner must fit themselves, but a steward recognizes that the world of the steward is only a small portion of the world of the owner. I am a steward of one small part of what God owns, but that part exists in relation to all the rest because God owns it all. So everything within my stewardship serves a set of long-term goals that go beyond the scope of that stewardship. No matter where I am in the company hierarchy, the big picture is bigger than my picture. Whether I'm the low man on the totem pole or the CEO, there's more going on than me. And as a steward, my job is to incorporate my portion of the task into the task as a whole. And with that in mind, I know this episode's getting a little long, but there's one more bit of scripture that we need to look at. Here's something Paul says, writing to the Corinthian church, to encourage them to participate in the collection he was taking for the struggling church back in Jerusalem. He says in 2 Corinthians 9:10, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Seed to the sower and bread for food. Just like Genesis 1, just like Isaiah 55. What God did for Adam and Eve, he continues to do for us. Zoom out and see a bit more of the context of Paul's statement in 2 Corinthians. Here's the larger section. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. There's a lot going on in these verses, but here's the main point. Because my needs are met by God, I can be generous in being used by God to meet your needs. Now, maybe you've had the experience of bread falling out of heaven like Israel in the wilderness. That's cool. Most of the time, it doesn't work like that. I could tell stories, and so could you. Most of the time, when God wants to drop a gift into our laps, he uses other people. When God wants to drop a gift into someone else's lap, there's a decent chance he wants to use me. God blesses me abundantly in part because he wants to use me to bless others. I have, on numerous occasions, been the beneficiary of God's blessing on someone else. Think of people you know who possess significant financial resources and are generous with them. Because they see themselves as stewards, not as owners, they are very quick to share those resources with me, with you, with many others. And what we get to say to them is just what Paul says to the Corinthians. Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God supplies food for now and seed for later. Either way, he supplies it. So go down the list. What's food and what's seed? Am I throwing food away or trying to fill my stomach with seed? Am I going hungry this year because I didn't plant any seed last year? 
There are lots of questions worth asking here, and I'll end with one more. Is there anything within my stewardship that is neither seed nor food? Are there any weeds? What is there that takes up space or time or energy, but serves no purpose, neither sustenance and pleasure in the moment, nor investment in the future? I'll say it bluntly, that stuff needs to go. If it can't support the improvement of creation right now or later, there's no reason why it should be there in the first place. Weeds are common in businesses. Sometimes things happen in companies just because no one's ever bothered to ask why. Sometimes a person or group of persons within an organization have a preference, but that preference isn't grounded in the good of the organization, it's just a preference. If it isn't seed, and it isn't food, you don't need it. Get rid of it. There's no neutral ground here. Either it serves a short-term benefit, it serves a long-term benefit, or it serves no benefit. And if it serves no benefit, then it is by definition a loss, because if it's there, someone is putting resources into it even if they aren't getting any back out. So get rid of it. If it's seed, plant it. If it's food, eat it. And if it's weeds, burn it. Thanks for listening to the Extreme Stewardship Podcast. My name is Michael Kibbe, and I teach Bible and theology at Great Northern University in Spokane, Washington. My behind-the-scenes partner in this project is my brother, Ben Kibbe. Our editor-in-chief is Annalee Stockton. Art comes from Leah Leenhouts, and of course, music is provided by Dave Murray of Derridoon Guitars. If this series has been helpful or challenging to you, or if you've got a story about extreme stewardship that you'd be willing to share, shoot us an email, extremestewards at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You are, of course, welcome to like and subscribe and tell your friends and all that. What we really care about is that you have gotten better at making things good and good at making things better. <laughs>